This is Wrestling with your host, Isaac Scanlon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the January 2022 bonus episode, which also happens to be the first episode of 2022. I'm super excited for the new year, and I'm also excited to bring this episode to you. I I pray you enjoy it as much as I do. I'm going to be talking a little bit about Jan 6th of last year. This episode is titled, God, Satan, QAnon, Judgment, and the Gospel. So without further ado, let's get started. January 6, 2021 is a day of infamy in U.S. history. People have various theories as to what happened that day. Some blame Antifa actors, while others say Trump encouraged his supporters to overthrow the government and install himself as fascist dictator. And as I have thought and researched, I'd say that day points to a deeper ill of our society. And I'm very interested in the psychology behind all of this, and a review of the psychological makeups of the groups largely responsible for the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, such as QAnon, point to several, it points to several deeper spiritual truths for which the solution is found in Christ. So it is known that QAnon is all into conspiracy theories, spouting out the infamous Pizzagate. If you don't know, Pizzagate says that all government agents, except Donald Trump, are in this elaborate human trafficking ring run out of a pizza shop. Kind of interesting in light of Jeff Epstein, but that'll be a discussion for another day. Full disclosure, it felt good to be a member of God's special club, to be a head above the dead, unenlightened churches of the world. There is something satisfying about knowing a secret very few other people know. The more exclusive, the better. Indeed, this was the thesis of Gnosticism, one of the earliest heresies facing the church. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek gnosis, meaning knowledge. The Gnostics believed in order to be saved, one had to receive a special gnosis from God, and salvation to the Gnostics meant being delivered from the evil physical realm and taken into a purer spirit realm. In this belief system, God imparts the gnosis to certain people and withholds it from others. So as we see, there is nothing new under the sun. Yet this begs the question, because at times the Bible seems secretive. Jesus taught to you, speaking to his disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven, 
Mark 4.10-12. through 12. Elsewhere, he instructs those who have received miracles from him to not tell anyone. And when Peter says to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Matthew 16, 15 through 17. From these passages, it appears God has this secret knowledge that his Son is the way to salvation and reveals it only to those whom he has elected. And by the way, I happen to agree with the hard doctrine of election, although not all Christians agree with this. But either way, we have to deal with these verses that appear to be secretive. And if this desire for secret knowledge draws people to QAnon, could it not be just as easily said that this desire is what draws people to Christianity? Were the Gnostics right that the key to salvation lies in a gnosis from God? Paul says concerning the gospel he was preaching, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Thus, it appears the Christian way to salvation cannot be obtained by human reason common to all, but can only be revealed to those who have received a secret knowledge from God. But God has revealed himself to all people to some degree. For it is written, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Then it goes on to say, So they are without excuse. Romans 1.18-20 The fundamental problem of the condition of the sinner outside of Christ is not the lack of knowledge about God, but rather that the sinner has the truth about God, but has freely chosen to suppress it. This is what is meant by the doctrine of total depravity. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Psalm 14, 2 through 3. And there is biblical evidence that we, as human beings, know this. They, the Gentiles who have suppressed the truth, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Romans 2, 15. With this truth, therefore, it makes sense that we as humans seek out secret knowledge. 
since we know that there is a greater truth outside of ourselves. Moreover, we must remember that the Bible is the written word of God, meaning it has been recorded in an objective manner for all to see. The reader must submit to what is written, and what is written cannot be altered to fit personal preferences. This stands in contrast to the whims of a cult leader or the declaration of a papal bull. But what about the prophets, apostles, and Jesus himself? The Bible teaches each were given an infallible spoken word from God that was not to be questioned. So that seems again like this concept of secret knowledge. So let's discuss Jesus. One may think it pretty brazen for someone to come out of nowhere and claim to be God. Now, Jesus confirmed his words by performing miracles, but he was not the only one to perform miracles. Pharaoh's magicians were also able to turn their rods into serpents, yet they were powered by Satan, not by God. And Christ himself proclaimed false prophets would arise and perform signs and wonders. If Jesus said not all people who perform signs and wonders can be trusted, are we to accept his authority of, on his signs and wonders? Let us examine said signs and wonders of Jesus. Early in his ministry, a paralyzed man was lowered to Jesus by the paralytic's friends as Jesus was preaching. The scripture says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders of Israel who were present thought this presumptuous. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the Pharisees had the same question I thought of earlier. How are we to know God has come to us in this man? Thus, Jesus responds. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He took up his mat, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Enduring Word comments on this passage. In a way, it was harder to heal the man than to forgive his sins. Because forgiveness is invisible, no one could verify at that moment the man was forgiven before God. Yet, it could be instantly verified whether or not the man could walk. Jesus is willing to put himself to the test. 
So Jesus performed this sign, the healing of the paralytic, specifically to confirm this man's sin was forgiven. And the sign was performed in full view of them all. Also note how had the crowd had not seen anything like this. The first century was an era full of people claiming to be the Messiah and performing signs and wonders. Surely this crowd had seen plenty of that. So what does the scripture mean? It is important to note that first century Jews thought of paralysis as a direct result of sin. If you were paralyzed, that meant you sinned and were cursed by God. According to this view, the only way to be healed of paralysis was to be forgiven of sin, which could only be done by God, something the Pharisees actually correctly pointed out. So, while some signs and wonders can be performed independently of God, there are some things only God can do, and that is what Jesus did in this instance, proving he is God. Think back to the example I gave of Pharaoh's magicians turning their rods into serpents, mimicking the miracle performed through Moses. The scripture says Moses' serpents swallowed Pharaoh's serpents. God demonstrates his supremacy in that whenever Satan or some other force tries to mimic God, it falls woefully short. All this to say, Jesus' miracles are sufficient to demonstrate that he is uniquely Lord and has no equal. On the one hand, Jesus spoke in parables so as to hide the kingdom from the non-elect. Again, I emphasize that is only my view. Not all Christians agree precisely on this. But on the other hand, Jesus performed miracles only God can perform in plain sight for all to see. Yet those who did not have eyes to see did not see. Likewise, signs and predictions were given to confirm the prophets and the apostles were of God. So there is a visible standard by which God's messengers or God himself are to be compared. Now you may ask what all this has to do with QAnon and the subject of this episode. I was discussing the desire for secret knowledge, which fuels conspiracy theory movements. And I was contrasting the secret knowledge promised by such movements against the saving faith in Christ given by God. God has given all of us knowledge of him, but we suppress it. The knowledge saves no one. God saves us not with knowledge, but with faith. Nevertheless, it seems this faith acts as a secret knowledge that some use to satisfy the human desire for secret knowledge. But I say everyone has the desire for secret knowledge precisely because God has revealed his holiness and majesty in creation. But this truth is suppressed in unrighteousness. Less sinners confess their fallen condition and renounce their illusion of righteousness. Despite this, God gives common grace, which leads human beings to be truth seekers. While some are given faith and accept the revealed truth of Christ, others insist on finding their own secret truth, 
leading people to things like QAnon. Thus, it is demonstrated that the gospel is the solution for those trapped in the rabbit hole. God has designed us to channel our truth-seeking energy to knowing him better every day, for it is the glory of kings to search things out. This all demonstrates the point that C.S. Lewis once made, that badness is only spoiled goodness. Another way to think of this is that, in the words of a preacher named Walter Martin, a counterfeit presupposes the existence of a genuine one, of a genuine copy. The fact that all of these false truths are popping up, it means that there is something true out there that we as human beings are striving to grasp. The gospel just being another one of those secret revelations to satisfy our own desires. But to move on, another big factor driving conspiratorial thinking, particularly the QAnon movement, is anti-establishment sentiment. After all, a conspiracy theory by definition means the establishment is conspiring to do harm and cover it up. It stands to reason, therefore, those already frustrated with the establishment are most likely to believe this establishment is involved in deep, nefarious conspiracies against them. The conspiracy inspiring the January 6th Stop the Steal rally, though I must point out most of the people there were not QAnon supporters and did not storm the Capitol that day, was that the establishment used this pandemic as a golden opportunity to commit voter fraud and remove Trump from office, giving power back to themselves. As an interesting fact, according to former terrorist turned student of extremism Jesse Morton, there is a direct correlation by county between the number of people present at the Stop the Steal rally and the number of casualties brought about by the war on terror that has occurred since 9-11. And we have good evidence the Bush administration used disinformation about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and capitalizing on the patriotism that arose after 9-11 to wage the war in Iraq. So you have these people who who had lost people in their community to disinformation given out by the government. So it really wasn't that much more of a leap for them to say that the 2020 election was stolen from this anti-establishment figure in Donald Trump. So this is speculation for me, but I wonder if many in the QAnon movement don't really believe everything Q says, but they use the movement as a way to strike back against the establishment. Or these may be people who are just disenfranchised with society in general, you know, who are lonely, who are down on their luck, who are lost, who are searching for community to be part of something. 
because it's common knowledge that cults and similar movements tend to attract these kinds of people who are down on their luck, searching for community, searching for meaning. Also something to look at is the apocalyptic nature of QAnon. The Atlantic wrote an article about this, citing Q, that's the leader, citing Q's promises that the imminent destruction of the global cabal, which of course the cabal refers to the elitist conspiracy to run a pedophilic ring and use their power to hide the truth from the world. And Q would use the phrase, enjoy the show, referring to the apocalypse that would ensue when the elites would finally be exposed by this inside man, Q. They were really hoping for this. They were hoping that this nefarious conspiracy, this establishment that had left these people feeling downtrodden, would collapse. Therefore, I think on January 6th, People like the world-famous QAnon shaman, who you probably know as Buffalo Guy, were hoping for Trump to emerge on a white horse and smite their enemies. They placed their hope in Trump, and he failed them. The world that had downtrodden these people had prevailed once again. With all hope lost, the shaman and the others stormed the Capitol because that was the only thing to do. The election was stolen, America was fallen, the only way justice would be obtained was to do whatever they did. And what this proves is that the only one to hope in is Christ. It's cliche that our hope is only in Christ, but maybe there's a reason people keep saying it because it's so true we see that the sorrows of those who run after another god will indeed be multiplied. I definitely want to address the topic of vengeance and judgment while we are here because I see a lot of anger towards our politicians, especially our progressive politicians in the American church. And I have definitely seen it in my own heart. Not terribly proud to admit that. They point, and I would point, to coming religious persecution. We're seeing this in the form of lockdowns. We saw this happen in Canada with the, with the arrest of Pastor James Coates. Even though he was in an area where not a lot of people were getting COVID and dying, Still, the Canadian government insisted that you can't meet in person. But Pastor James, he decided to fill out the command to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, and he was arrested for it. There is an increasing movement of the banning of homeschooling. I know that's something that gets discussed a lot. And, you know, there's the pushing of secularism and a lot of very unpopular teachings in public schools. And then there's legislation such as the Equality Act. Plus, when you look at church history, the pessimism of American Christians is not at all unwarranted. Jesus said a servant is not greater than his master. And as we discussed earlier, 
the world knows of God, but suppresses the truth. And unless the heart dead in sin is made alive in Christ, the heart will do all in its power to avoid the truth of God and promote its own righteousness. Several times in history and in many places today around the world, this results in physical persecution of those who try to promote the gospel. But this is no reason for us, and, and I mean us, I refer to the church of which I am part. No reason for us to be given over to excessive anger and unforgiveness. This is not to say it is sin for us to be disappointed. In fact, until Christ returns, we should be disappointed in the state of the world that, for the most part, refuses to honor God. But it is sin when we allow this disappointment to grow into bitterness. We all know what Christ taught about forgiveness. The parable of the unmerciful servant, where a servant who owes his king an exorbitant amount of money, worth millions in today's money, begs for forgiveness and receives forgiveness from the king. But instead of being grateful and having a new perspective on life, this servant turns around and has a fellow servant thrown in debtor's jail for owing him a comparatively puny sum. And the king, hearing of this, has the unforgiving servant thrown into prison. The obvious takeaway being, sins committed against us cannot compare to our sin against God which is a great rationale for forgiveness. But scripture gives another rationale in Romans. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Then it goes on to say, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that's chapter 12, verses 19 through 20. At first glance, this is backdoor sadism. Is this really the word of God? That doesn't exactly sound like forgiveness. But John Piper explained this really well in a sermon. Piper pointed out, one reason it is hard for us, now I'm talking as human beings, to forgive is because God made us just creatures who know every evil must be avenged. But since Paul assures us, now I'm speaking again of the church, that God will avenge us, we are free to pray as Christ. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let us remember our inheritance. And let us remember justice will one day be done. We need not avenge ourselves because no deed done against God will go unavenged. From all this, I would tend to believe the analysis that QAnon is more like a cult rather than just 
a bunch of conspiracy theories. And its followers, while many definitely suffer from psychological conditions, are merely drawn in by traits that we all share. Because God has created us with these traits in his common grace. But tragically, instead of seeking him, some people use these God-given attributes to crawl into the rabbit hole. Q promised secret knowledge and a front row seat to the coming apocalypse where justice would be done. But on January 6th, Q's followers were sorely disappointed. Their hope went unrealized, and they discredited themselves, although they definitely had already, by storming the Capitol. But, as I have argued, there is one who came, not claiming to have the truth, but rather to be the truth. God visited us and proved it through verifiable signs only he could perform. This God has not given us secret knowledge, but rather saving faith that we might receive forgiveness for our sins. And while there are those who, in suppressing the truth, might persecute those of us who are in Christ, God assures us he will avenge us. Meanwhile, we are to pray for them, that they too might find in Christ a greater treasure. Goodbye, and Soli Deo Gloria.